last week, uh, we started a new series called Believe, uh, looking at the Christmas story in the first part of the book of Luke. So we're just kind of going verse by verse through these first couple chapters and uh, looking at what we can learn about Christ through this. Um, and so today we're going to continue on in that with Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Second story here in the book of Luke um, that we're picking up this morning, looking at Mary and Gabriel um, that we kind of heard a little bit earlier today. And uh, believing is receiving is the name of the message this morning. So as I was preparing this week, um, I was reading, I came across uh, this thing. It said that there are four stages in the life of a man. Stage one, he believes in Santa Claus. Stage two, he doesn't believe in Santa Claus. Stage three, he is Santa Claus. Stage four, he looks like Santa Claus. Um, so I, I don't know which stage of that you're in at this particular point in your life, but uh, I remember being back in stage one, and like the big threat from parents was that uh, if you stop believing in Santa, you would no longer be receiving any gifts. Anybody else ever hear that, right? Like anybody else get that threat around your house? And so uh, thankfully that was not the case, all right? It's still, we're still going strong at our house with gifts, but, um, but the reality is that is true in a sense. There are some gifts the most important gifts in life that can only be received through believing. Uh, and not in Santa, but in Christ, right? And so that's what we want to look at this morning is, I must believe to receive God's gifts. What we're going to learn from Mary this morning is that I must believe in order to receive God's best gifts. So let's go ahead and look at the story Go to verse 26 with me, chapter 1, verse 26. Starts off, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. First point this morning is this, I must believe to receive God's favor. I must believe to receive God's favor. Now, it starts off here, interestingly enough, it says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent. Now, that should, like, cause a little bit of deja vu from last week. Like, I think, did we already hear this story? The angel came? Like, we, we did that part, right? Well, this is actually on purpose here. Um, this is a callback to Zechariah and Elizabeth's story in the first part of chapter 1 where the angel came to Zechariah, and Luke is going to use these two accounts, the announcement of John's birth and the announcement of Jesus' birth, as two parallel accounts. And we're going to see several links and several connections between these two stories that parallel them together. And so when it says here the sixth month, it's actually the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. That's the time marker here, okay? Not the sixth month of the year, but the sixth month of her pregnancy. Uh, God sends the same angel, Gabriel, but this time he sends him somewhere different. In fact, very, very different. It says he went to Galilee, to Nazareth, to a virgin girl who was part of this couple named Mary and Joseph. Right? So in the first story, he went to Jerusalem, to the temple, to the holiest, grandest place of the Jewish faith. Now he goes to Galilee, which was like the backwoods country right? Like that's like nobody wanted to go there. And specifically to Nazareth, which was this little podunk town that nobody cared about and nobody really liked. 
to just a normal average Jewish girl who's waiting on marriage, to this couple that has no name, no significance to them whatsoever. There is nothing significant in this story that warrants an angel coming, right? This isn't the temple. This isn't a couple who has this great lineage of priestly uh, families. It's not someone who serves uh, the Lord in that way. They don't have character references like Zechariah and Elizabeth had. There's no special prayer being answered. Like there's, at first glance, there seems no reason why this should be a special occasion for an angel to show up. And yet, if we look a little bit closer, all these details that Luke just gave us are actually foreshadowing the fulfillment of several messianic prophecies. Right? First, we have Nazareth, which was a town that people despised and rejected because of its uh, lowly state and because of its Roman occupation, much like Messiah would be despised and rejected by the people. Right? Psalm 22, 6-7, and Isaiah 53, 3 both speak to that. When it talks about the virgin girl, that's a reference to how the Messiah will be born from a virgin in Isaiah 7, 14. Even the reference to the house of David for Joseph speaks to the lineage by which the Messiah will come, right, from the line of King David in Isaiah 11, 1 and 20, Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. So there's all these little Easter eggs in there that Luke's given us. He doesn't point them out. He doesn't make a big deal out of it, but he's just kind of like laying them in there to point us to perhaps, perhaps something big's about to happen. And these are all prophecies that all the the good, believing, faithful Jews would have known about, that Mary would have known about, that she would have been waiting on and hoping in. And so the angel comes to her, and he says this. He says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Let's talk about that phrase for a second here. Some translations translate that first part, greetings, O favored one, as hail, full of grace. Right? So let's talk about those words for a moment here. That, that, that greeting hail there, that would, have, that would have been a legitimate translation. But I think it, it, it messes us up a little bit because when we hear the word hail, it sounds like something like real formal and like real special and like the special greeting for some type of dignitary. But back then it was just like, hey, how you doing? Hello, good to see you. Like it was just a normal greeting of the day. There wasn't any special significance to that word in this context. And then the second part, which we have a favored one in our Bibles, some Bibles will translate full of grace, which again is a fair translation of that, of that Greek phrase there, but it must be completed with the rest of the sentence. It doesn't stand alone, right? So it's greetings, O favored one, Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. This is precisely why Mary was favored. Why she was full of grace is because at this point, the Lord is with her because she believes in him. It's through her faith in the Lord and in the coming Messiah that she is receiving God's presence and God's grace in her life in this moment. Now, the Catholic Church has a whole prayer and a whole doctrine that is rooted right here in this verse. Hail Mary, full of grace. Right? You've probably heard that prayer before, the Hail Mary prayer. It comes back to this verse. This is where they get it from. And, and in that prayer, they teach what they call the doctrine of immaculate conception. 
which if you're not Catholic, a lot of times I think we, we get mistaken on what that even is. Immaculate Conception Doctrine says not that Jesus was sinless, but that Mary was born sinless. And that she was sinless for the, her entire life. That's what they mean by Hail Mary, full of grace. That she is full of God's grace and therefore is sinless in all of her being. Pope Francis in 2017, he explained it like this. What does is, what is full of grace mean, he said? That Mary is filled with the presence of God, and if she is entirely inhabited by God, then there is no room within her for sin. It is an extraordinary thing, because everything in the world, regrettably, is contaminated by evil. Each of us, looking within ourselves, sees dark sides. Even the greatest saints were sinners, and everything in reality, even the most beautiful things, are corroded by evil. Everything except Mary. Now the problem with that doctrine and that teaching is that that's not what this verse means, nor do we find that anywhere in the rest of Scripture. In fact, over and over again in the Bible, we see no reference to Mary being sinless. We only see references to Jesus alone being sinless in the world. Right? Let me give you one of those. 1 John 3, 5 says, you know that he, Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Others would be included 2 Corinthians 5.21, Hebrews 4.15, 1 Peter 1.18 and 19. All of these referencing the sinlessness of Christ alone. And this is why he's the only one who can save us from our sins, and therefore the only one that we should pray to for grace. This is the heart of the gospel, right? Pope Francis gets it right on the first account. We are all full of sin. We are all corroded by evil, as he says, right? Every single person who's been born on this earth, including Mary, was born a sinner and in need of a savior, in need of God's grace to save us from our sins. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot do good enough for God to bless us. And so, out of love for us, instead of sending us to hell, he sent his son, Jesus, to come to earth, to be born of a virgin in a manger, to live as a human, to live a perfect and sinless life, and then one day to go to the cross and die a sinner's death to sacrifice his life for us, to die our death and to cover our sins so that we could be saved. And he went into the grave, and three days later he rose back to life, proving that he was God and offering us grace, offering us favor, offering us forgiveness for all of our sins if we will turn from that and believe in him. This is why Mary was full of grace. She believed in a God who would save her from her sins. We need Jesus to give us grace and to give us eternal life. And this statement here that Gabriel says to Mary simply affirms the same thing that is true for every single person who believes in Jesus. That we are filled with God's grace and that his presence resides with us. Ephesians 1, 5 and 6 says it this way. In love... 
he, God, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us, he has blessed us with his grace in the beloved. Which is another name for Jesus. Jesus is our source of grace. And all who believe in him receive that grace and that favor. And we know this is not just us. Mary thought the same thing. Look at how she responds. She was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Mary is perplexed because she, she doesn't understand why the angel would say something like this to her because she knows she hasn't done anything special to earn God's grace. She knows that she's not worthy of his favor. She has no false delusions that she is sinless and somehow deserving something special from God. She's shocked that this is happening at all. In fact, she may be wondering the opposite. Like, if an angel's showing up, maybe I've done something wrong. Like, maybe God's coming down to, like, discipline or, like, like I, I, and that's why she's fearful in this moment. Even though she had this great greeting from the angel, it sounds all good. We're like, okay, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop, Right? And so the angel reiterates to her again, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. God is showering his grace upon you because of your love for him and your belief in him. This past week, I was at a a meeting with a bunch of pastors, and one of my pastor friends, he got up and he was sharing a story that happened over Thanksgiving weekend at his house. He said that his stepbrother and his stepbrother's family who live out in California were visiting uh, St. Louis for the first time. They were, for the first time, they were coming to visit and to spend Thanksgiving with them. And so they get to the house, and they're, they're walking up to the house, and the, the, little son, the son, the like 10 or 12-year-old boy, was walking up to the house, and he stops, and he looks over in the front yard, and he's like, who is that? And he was pointing to Mary in the nativity scene. And my pastor friend said, well, that's, that's Mary. That's Jesus' mother. And he said, oh, well, then who's that? And he points to Joseph. And he's like, well, that's, that's Joseph. That's his dad. That's Jesus' parents. This is when he was born. You know, and, and the child had no concept of what a nativity scene was. Never seen one. He knew the name Jesus, but he had no idea that he was ever born, that he, anything about him living as a human, like nothing. Zero. And that's something that's becoming more and more common in our country as secularization continues to to create this divide in our culture, right? And people can't believe in Jesus if they don't even know who he is, right? Right? Belief isn't even an option yet because they don't even have an understanding And if they don't understand, then they can't believe. And if they can't believe, then they can't receive the grace of God. And they are lost to hell. No other option. And church, that's in our shop. Like God's given that to us. To be that voice that tells others about the birth of a Savior 
who can bring them eternal life. That's on us. If the people of this world are going to have any chance of receiving the salvation, receiving the grace of God that's talked about here to Mary, that has to come through us telling them about the person and work of Jesus Christ. The only way they can believe is if they know. And so we have to bring the good news of the gospel, just like Gabriel did, because they can't save themselves. Just like Mary couldn't, just like none of us can. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. The only way we receive it is if we believe, and they can't believe unless we tell them. So I want you to ask yourself this question this morning. Who in my life needs to believe and receive Jesus this Christmas? Who's God put in your circle? What neighbor, what coworker, what friend or family member needs you to tell them about Jesus so they can believe? Need you to invite them so they can come and hear the good news of Christ's birth. I know at Christmas we want it to all be fun and cookies and gifts and pleasant and no uncomfortableness, but guys, this is one of the times of the year where people are most receptive to an invite to church and to hear about the birth of this kid that the whole world has celebrated for centuries. Ask yourself, how can I help them come to believe? Not the pastor, not, some, not your small group leader, not somebody. Like, how can you, you, help them come to a belief in Jesus? First, I would tell you, pray. If you've got somebody in your life, if God has brought somebody to your mind right now, you need to be praying for them every single day between now and Christmas. That they would come to believe. Secondly, you need to invite them. Mason already mentioned it. Today, we're starting our Christmas cookie invite kits. They're out there. Pick up as many as you want. It's so simple, guys. We've given you the box. We've given you the cookies. We get, uh, go home. T- I don't, actually, I don't know. 10 minutes, 15 minutes in the oven? 20, I don't know how long it takes. Bake cookies. 8 to 10 minutes. 8 to 10 minutes. Put them in the oven. Bake the cookies. Drop them in the box. Walk across the street and say, hey, we love you. Jesus loves you. Merry Christmas. We'd love for you to come to church on Christmas Eve. It's so simple. And God can use that to bring people to himself. Love them. Invite them. We have to believe to receive God's favor, his grace. Keep going with the story. Look at verse 31. The angel keeps talking to Mary. He says, behold, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Number two is this, I must believe to receive God's Son. So, again, Mary's sitting there, she's trying to take all this in, and the first thing the the angel says after that is, Hey, you're going to have a son. You're going to conceive and bear a son. 
and this is a divine birth announcement, right? Like, like we got all people doing all kinds of crazy birth announcements these days. But like, an angel shows up and tells you, like, that's that's over the top, right? And for Mary, as a Jew, she, this would immediately brought to mind for her all the famous divine birth announcements of the Bible, right? This is like back there, like with Abraham and Sarah, when God came and said, "Hey, you're going to finally have a son. He's going to be a whole nation for me." Or Samson, right? Come to Manoah and his wife. They've been barren. The country is in ruins. And hey, you're going to have a son who's going to bring the people back. Or Hannah, who was barren and crying out year after year. And God finally said, okay, you're going to conceive and I'm going to give you Samuel. But also, all of these stories, they were miraculous birth announcements but they also all led to some major sacrifice on the part of the parents, right? It was going to cost the parents something because God had a special plan for these children. And so no doubt Mary was thinking to herself the same thing, like, okay, this is amazing, but, but what's God going to ask of me? What, what is this son going to require? What's it going to cost me? To be the mother of this child. The angel goes on, he says, you shall call his name Jesus. And again, for us, that name immediately brings like all kinds of meaning, right? This is the name that has so impacted and covered and polarized the world that no one even dares name their child that anymore, right? Like that name is like reserved for him now. It's the name that is at the pivot point of all world history. Our calendar changed because he was born. Right? It's the name that has inspired most of the hospitals and humanitarian organizations over the last couple centuries to be created to serve and love on people. It's the name that facilitated wider literacy and education all over the world through the reading of Scripture. It's the name that birthed the fastest growing and largest religion in the world to date. For us, the name Jesus means everything. But for Mary, it was just another name. There were all kinds of people back then named Jesus. Prior to him having it, it was just a common name. And so the angel has to explain why this is important. He gives a five-fold description of who Jesus is. He says, first, he will be great. Period. He will just be great without qualification. Like no further explanation is needed. In the previous story, remember the angel said that John was going to be great, right? Great before the Lord. Right? That God was going to use him in some special way and he was going to have a special purpose. Jesus is just great without any qualifiers. Right? It's kind of like in sports, right? Like when they're like, all right, this basketball player is number one in scoring. But then they're like, number one in scoring in the shot clock era, uh, on an expansion team, at home when they're wearing blue. Okay, well, now he's like, not, right? Like, because we have all the qualifiers that, like, make it finally put him on the map. Jesus doesn't need any of that. Jesus doesn't need any other explanation. He is great, period. Secondly, he will be the son of the Most High. 
Again, John was the prophet of the Most High, which is pretty awesome. But even a prophet does not hold a candle to a son. He will be the son of the Most High, the son of God. Number three, he will, be the, he will have the throne of his father David. He will be the one who finally restores the line of the infamous King David. Right? He will be the one who, who finally restores Israel and God's kingdom here on earth. This is what all the Jews were waiting for. This was the reason they longed for the Messiah, was that he would come and be a king to restore the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Israel on earth. Number four, he would reign over the house of Jacob. So now we're going broader. Not just David, not just David's line, not just Judah, but all the house of Jacob, all of God's people. He would rule over everything. And he would do it, it says, forever with no end. His kingdom will be an eternal kingdom. Beyond this empire, beyond this century, beyond even this millennia, beyond this world and this life, he will rule forever. And with this fivefold description, Gabriel is making it abundantly clear to Mary that this is the one. This is the one you've been waiting for. This is the Messiah that everyone's waiting for. And he's coming through you. God was asking Mary to be the mother of the Messiah. Wow. What an honor. Right? What a what a gift. What favor. What grace that would be. But again, also, at what cost? To bear a son without a husband would cost Mary everything. cost her her reputation, it could possibly cost her her family, that she would be shunned and kicked out, it would cost her her future betrothed, who would think that she had been unfaithful, it would cost possibly even her own very life, because she could be stoned to death. This could potentially cost her everything. Would she be willing to agree to that? Would she be willing to take that kind of risk, that kind of cost? Would you? Would you be willing to give that kind of sacrifice? We're going to see in a second, Mary will agree, but only because she believes. She believed God's word. She believed God's promise. And so she received God's son at whatever cost that was going to take. I've said before, you know, I, I really love Christmas. I love giving gifts. We were just out this weekend shopping for more gifts for people I love giving gifts now even more than I think I, re- I loved receiving gifts as a kid. There's just something about that as a parent, getting to do that for your children. And, 
but all the giving, and parents, you know what I'm talking about here, all the giving comes at a cost, right? There's the financial cost, right? And it seems to be growing with inflation and growing as the kids get older. They have more expensive tastes, and all of a sudden things are just more. Uh, it comes with the cost of time and energy, and you're going to all the shops, and you're getting all the things, and you're putting all the time in. The, the late night wrapping and stuff and stuff underneath the tree. Like, there's a cost to all of it, but it's worth it because we love them. It's worth it. They're worth it. And as bad of a parallel as this is, the reality is there's a much more important gift this Christmas. And it comes at a much higher cost. It's not just money. It's not just time. It's not just energy. The gift of receiving Jesus Christ requires sacrifice and submission. Possibly even our own selves. Do I believe enough that I'm willing to pay the cost to receive Jesus? And not just to receive him for salvation, although that applies, but to receive him as the king and Messiah of my life that has full control of everything. Are you willing to give up your worldly dreams? To follow Jesus? Are you willing to lose some of those other relationships in order to receive Jesus? Are you willing to sacrifice your desires and your comforts to make much of Him? Are you willing to lay down your life in submission to the eternal King? That is what it means to truly believe in Jesus. It comes with a cost. But I must believe to receive God's son. And then the third thing, look at verse 34. Mary finally gets enough courage to speak up and to respond. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, with, with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Lastly, number three, I must believe to receive God's power. I must believe to receive God's power. So Mary, again, she finally speaks up, and her first question is, how will this be, right? And which is an interesting question because off the top, the most obvious answer is, well, yeah, I'm getting ready to get married. Me and Joseph, pretty soon that's going to be a done deal, and then we can have a child, and that will be what God's talking about here. Like, the, the, the logical assumption is to think, okay, yeah, this is going to come through my marriage that is on the books, right? But Mary doesn't assume that. 
Somehow she understands that the angel is saying that this is going to be something that happens more immediately than that. That somehow this is going to happen outside of her upcoming marriage to Joseph. And so she logically asks, like, I, I, I think I know how the birds and bees work. Like, I, like, how is this possible since I'm a virgin? And her question is different than Zechariah's, right? This is an interesting contrast here. Because the, the content of their questions are not that different. But the heart behind their questions are altogether different. Mary is sincerely asking out of ignorance. Right? She's like, I just, I don't get it. I don't understand. She's not challenging God out of her pride like Zechariah was. She's just asking. And friends, we need to understand that sometimes we have some hard questions to ask, and God is fine with our ignorance. He's fine with answering questions for our ignorance. It's our insolence that he will not tolerate. It's when we try to challenge him. That's where we cross the line. And so Mary just sincerely asks, like, how is this going to work? And the angel tells her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. In other words, this will be a divine conception. Not a human one. A divine, supernatural conception. And then look what it says next. It says, therefore, he will be called holy, the Son of God. Because this is going to be a divine conception, because there's something supernatural happening in this process, therefore, he will be called holy. And in its most basic sense, the word holy just means to be set apart, right? To be that this, this child is going to be different than all the other children who have ever been born by natural human birth. Even those who are miraculous that we saw earlier, right? Like Zechariah and Samuel and Isaac, all miraculous, God-inspired births, but they still happened naturally. This is the first time in all of human history that there's going to be a virgin conception, which sets Jesus apart from everybody else. It sets him apart in three ways. It sets him apart first as the God-man. He will be 100% God and 100% man. And some say that this divine conception between God and the woman is the only way that Christ's dual nature could be achieved. The coming together of God and human. But I think that that's overstated. Right? After all, he is God. <laughs> like, he could have just created Jesus out of nothing like he did Adam and stuck him here on the earth and said, okay, there you go. There's the Savior. He could have done it out of a natural human birth and just supernaturally infused the divine essence into that person. He could have done this any way he wanted, but he, in his wisdom, in God's perfect wisdom, he chose to do it like this. Because this is the clearest evidence that Jesus was indeed God and man all at the same time. Secondly, he set apart to live as the perfect son. Romans says that he was made in the likeness of man. In other words, he was made as an image bearer of God, just like us. But Jesus came to do what Adam, and every single one of us since Adam, has failed to do, which is to live a perfect, sinless, righteous life to the glory of God. And only Jesus has ever done that. 
He came to be the perfect son. He was also set apart to save us from sin and death. That was his unique purpose in coming, right? This was it. He was on a mission to break the curse of sin and death by living and dying as one which is holy, one who is set apart as a perfect sacrifice for sin. Jesus was set apart in all of these ways because, therefore, because of the divine power of the Holy Spirit and God the Father in his miraculous conception. And then the angel goes on, without any prompting from Mary, he says, Behold, Elizabeth has also conceived. I think that's his way of saying, like, I, I, know, I know this sounds crazy. Right? Like, I know this is cray, like it's, but it's, it's a lot, but let me help you with that, okay? Let me just give you something here. I'm just going to give you a, this reassuring sign of God's promise and of his power. You know your advanced in years auntie over there that we talked about, like, last week? She's prego, okay? Like, that's why, and he's like, Oh, okay. And the same divine power that did that for her is going to do this for you. He's assuring her of God's power in this moment. And he says, nothing. One of the most powerful statements in the New Testament. Nothing is impossible with God. And again, let's just put ourselves in Mary's shoes for a second. Would she really believe that? Like, sure, I believe it for Elizabeth. That's great for her. Like, that's in her life. I know she was barren. God healed her. Now she's having a baby. I've heard of that before. God heals people. But this is different. This is a complete change to the natural order, right? This is, this is a whole new thing. This isn't just God fixing what is broken. This is an entirely new thing, a new way of God creating in the world, a whole new direction. Can I believe God for this? Mary said, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In other words, she said, I believe. I believe so much that I will submit to God's plan. I will submit to God's way. I will submit to God's power. And because she believed, she got to experience the miraculous power of God in her life. Because she believed. So the last question I have for you this morning is this. Am I failing to believe God can do something miraculous this Christmas? Am I failing to believe that God can do something miraculous in my life this Christmas? Maybe you're not asking for a birth. Some of you are like, please no. Others of you might be. That's great. But there's other things, right? There's other things. Is there a broken relationship in your life that needs to be mended? Is there a physical illness that needs healing in you or in a family member or someone that you love? Is there a, 
Is there a financial need that is weighing on you and you need God to come through? Is there a closed door for the gospel that you need God to open so you can speak to that person and bring them to Jesus Christ? Is there something that you've given up asking for? You stopped even praying about it because you don't really believe that God will do it. Whatever that is, I want to challenge you again this Christmas. Pray. Pray and ask the Lord to give you faith to believe in the miraculous power. Will he do it? I don't know. That's up to him. But we can believe and we can pray in faith. And maybe, just maybe, we will get to experience the miraculous power of God who still works and moves in the world. I must believe to receive God's gifts. Yes, I know we get some gifts from God just through the natural order of things, just through his common grace, but the best gifts, the most important gifts, only come through believing. Will you believe this Christmas and receive God's gifts? Stand with me, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come to you now. God, we ask you. Thank you, Lord, that you are such a great, great Father. Lord, you give us the best gifts. Lord, you love your children. But to be your child, Lord, first we must believe in Jesus. Lord, help us to believe so that we can receive the great gifts of grace and salvation and miraculous power from your hands, Lord. Lord, show us today where our belief is failing. Show us where it's falling short and help us to believe more deeply. Strengthen our faith to believe in the glorious name of your son, Jesus, and all that comes with it. We pray all this in Christ's name.